0: Thanks for tuning in. We hope this message encourages and challenges you today. Now here's Pastor Marco DeBarros. I want to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> verse 13. This is about a couple of years into... Jesus' ministry, he's been doing this for a couple of years, walking around, preaching, healing, restoring, blessing, and he stops and he asks these questions. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Son of man is a title that Jesus would refer himself by. Well, they reply, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, well, who do you say I am? Now, you've been with me. You've been walking with me for a couple of years now. What about you? What do you think? Simon Peter, which is always the most vocal out of the twelve. Answer, you are the Messiah. The word Messiah means the Christ. Christ means the anointed. The son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from human being. God had to reveal this. To you, Simon, can you say, amen? amen? It's a familiar passage. If you're you've been to church, grew up in the church, you've been around church, you've you, you've come across this passage before. Jesus inquiring about who he is to the public, and then to his closest disciples. Who do you say that I am? And it's interesting that there are many different responses who people thought he was. Some say John the Baptist. Why? Because, because John the Baptist was the one that prepared the way for Jesus. He was preaching, and people were responding. People were really uh, taking a hold of what John the Baptist was sharing. But John the Baptist says, I'm not the one. I just came to prepare the way. I'm just the opening act, but the real one is coming, and I'm not even worthy of tying his sandals. Like John the Baptist's newest position in Christ, he said, I must become less. He must become greater. Like my job is to just introduce you to Jesus. Some said, that he was Elijah, because in the Hebrew tradition, uh, they believed that Elijah, because God took up Elijah to heaven, um, that he would come back and and establish the kingdom on earth. And so this was this myth among the Jewish people. Some thought Jeremiah, why? Because Jesus' style was very similar to Jeremiah's style. And so they thought he's just a prophet, he's just a teacher, and he's here to kind of show us the way. But Jesus knew that that was not the right answer, so he asked the ones closest to him, What about you? What do you think? Interesting because uh, it just kind of took me back a little bit. Each time I read a scripture, I feel like there's always another layer there. There's always another thing that God wants to show you. And this kind of brought me back to a few years ago. I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, we used to have a style of music. I don't know if you remember this. Not long ago, we used to have this style of music. It was popular. It used to be called hip-hop. You remember that? I don't know what it is now, but it used to be hip-hop. Right? And there used to be a guy named Eminem, right? Remember that guy? And he wrote a song called Slim Shady. Well, the real Slim Shady, please stand up. Remember that song? Don't act like you don't know the song, because we're in church. Y'all be acting. Putting out a religious face. But in your head, you're like, I'm the Slim Shady, the real Slim Shady. Well, the real Slim Shady, please stand up, please stand up, y'all don't be lying to me, but it brought me back to that, because, you know, this whole concept of, like, who is Eminem, and Eminem felt like he has this other guy named Slim Shady that would come out and do weird things, and so it's very interesting to see that, that one person, many different opinions, isn't that interesting, same guy, but different opinions of him, right, and You gotta answer the question: Like, well, what happens? How can someone be the same person and people have different opinions of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And we can explore this forever if we want to about what makes a person have different opinions about them. Like, right now, you have different opinions about me. <laughs> same guy, <laughs> different opinions, based on your whatever, whatever your lenses are. You will have certain things to say. When I was teaching high school, I used to tell the students, like, first day in school, you had an opinion, and then six months later, you had a different opinion. Why? Because we all have preconceived notions. We have preconceived notions based on how people appear. Like, some of you, you walk in, you look at someone, you already size them up. Oh. Come on, girlfriend. Yeah. Right? But because we have certain lenses by which we perceive people, by which we see people, and it's interesting, sometimes we say, I thought I knew you. But now I think. Right? And then the one that always cracks me up is the one on the news. Like when something crazy happened in the neighborhood, they're like, We thought we knew him. We didn't know he was crazy. You know, you saw the guy taking out the trash, smiling good morning, picks up his paper, but then he gets inside, he's crazy, you know what I'm saying, like, we all have certain cons- concepts, of- same thing with church, people walk in here, they're like, I th- you know, I had an idea of church, and then this, like, messed me up, right, I mean, if you guys had that, like, you're like, whoa, time out, like, and some people think that's good, some people think that's terrible, I've, I've heard both ways, I've heard people like, yo, that's, that's the dangest mass I've ever been to, crazy, <laughs> The priest, wears Jordan? Whoa. And then some people are like, yo, the priest, wears Jordan? I'm out. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It all depends on the lenses that you have. You know? And we can explore this all day long, but, but, but I want to just zero in on one thing here, that I would say this, that the, more, the way we know someone, really know someone, is based on how close we are to that person and how intimate we are to that person. So, so I want to give you an equation, even though I'm not a huge math fan, um, but I, can, I, wanna, I want you to take this down, right? Proximity plus intimacy equals experience. Proximity plus intimacy equals experience, right? The closer you are, the more intimate you are, the more you have a certain experience with the person. Come on, can you agree with that? Right? You don't have a best friend because they're far. You have a best friend because they're close. Right? And, and married people, you guys know that the more close you get, because you can live in the same house and not be close. Let's, let's not get that wrong. Right? I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about being in the same place. I'm talking about being close. right? When the two married people are close, they don't have to say a word. Like, you can speak so much with just your presence. Right? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? We come in, you're like, we know. We're like, what's wrong? (laughs) What do you say? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) But we're like, I wish there was nothing. (laughs) But your whole demeanor... It says something. Right? <laughs> right? There's something about being close to someone that you don't have to say much. Right? Like, we know how to talk around our kids in codes. Right? Like, you say stuff, you, you sound like Tom Brady calling an audible. Blue 35. Kids are like, yeah, Blue 35. (laughs) Blue's (laughs) clues. But to mom and dad, that's something else. Why? Because closeness, proximity plus intimacy equals experience. The reason why we have different opinions of Jesus depends on our proximity and intimacy with Him. That's why He has to ask twice. He asked, What is the outside? And what's the closeness? There's always going to be different opinions of Jesus. Because there's always going to be different levels of how close people want to get to him. There's always going to be different feedback about the church. Depending on how close you want to get to it. Right? So I want to say this again because I think it's very important. Proximity plus intimacy equals experience. We all have certain opinions of people. It changes the closest you get. Now that could be good or that could be bad. Like some people cannot handle the the behind-the-scenes of church because it's not pretty at times. Just like some people cannot handle the reality of marriage. Just like some people cannot handle the reality of parenting. It's one thing to have sex, another thing to be a parent. You get what I'm saying? The closest you get, it's either gonna make you or break you. It's either gonna shape you and mold you, or it's going to like make you want to. Like some people get here and they get and they get uncomfortable, they can't stand it. Why? Because you're too close. And it's close, things get exposed. And some people are like, please, more. Because I want to be exposed to more. It all depends on the person, it all depends. And so that's why you hear people say, you know, they had a bad marriage experience. Don't ever get married. They generalize their experience. You go to one church, don't ever go to church. You generalize every church. You had a bad experience with a pastor, don't trust any pastor because they're all the same. It's a dangerous way that we live life because of lack of proximity and intimacy. So it's critical that we go past the surface go a little bit deeper i think this is what, one of the things that's hurting us as a society social media is too surface mm-hmm. there's nothing deep going on there's deep quotes but shallow lives mm-hmm. right cuz anybody can throw out a deep quote but it's when you get close to you understand this. what does that quote actually mean to you See, Jesus is not interested in, in just information, feedback, like what do you think about me? He's thinking, the question actually is, what is your experience with me? Anyone can give you an educational answer. He's not looking for an educational answer. Everybody has an opinion. He's not looking for that. He's trying to say, yeah, but what is your experience? What is your experience? It's one thing to have a diploma. It's another thing to have experience. You can have a piece of paper and be clueless. And then you find some people with no piece of paper, but they have experience. (laughs) Like, a degree is not experience. A degree is a degree. You need experience. Right? So, so... Just knowing some Bible verses means nothing. You have to experience those Bible verses for it to mean something. Right? Like, most people that you meet will say, I believe in God. But I mean, I've actually experienced God. There's a difference. Jesus is trying to get at that here. Right? Yeah, I've been preaching. I've been healing. I've been restoring. But but, but what is the actual experience, though, that you're getting out of this thing? Because that's what really he's trying to get to. It's not about useless information. You know, we all have done this in school. Remember we used to say, yeah, but when am I ever going to use this in real life? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, as a teacher, I used to wrestle with that because I'm like, I want to make sure that, that they understand how do you apply this in real life because what's the point? They'll just have a bunch of information with no application. That's the last thing we need in Christianity. Right. People with information but with no application. Right? Like, think about it. I- I've thought about it, like, man, geometry, calculus, yeah. can't be from God. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how I know it can't be from God. God's not a God of confusion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I used to leave class confused. But the Bible says God's a God of order, <laughs> structure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like, am I, where am I ever gonna use calculus? And I know one of you guys right now will be like, get up. Well, let me tell you how you will actually <laughs> apply calculus in your life. The only calculus I want to know is $430,000. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I understand that math. You know? So it's not merely a question of information. That's what I'm trying to get at. That's right. like, like following Jesus is not about knowing things. It's about experiencing things, right? This is why the Bible says there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is the information, wisdom is now how to apply it, right? A lot of people have knowledge, but no wisdom, right? Wisdom is, is after you live here, is like, okay, God, how do you want me to apply these things to my life? Knowledge is, oh, that was a great sermon. Wisdom is now, God, what are you saying to me personally? And that's revelation. That's why he said, God had to reveal this to you, right? Because this is beyond human wisdom. This is beyond human comprehension. It makes absolutely no sense. Think about it. We're in New Bedford. If you go out right now and tell someone who doesn't come to church, we raise that money in one day, they won't believe you. You guys are in New Bedford? Seriously. It makes absolutely no sense. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They asked. That's knowledge. <laughs> Nazareth was a ghetto. They're like, no, nah, please, Nazareth? No way. God's like, yeah, I can the wise. So, so the, he's going to come out of Nazareth. <laughs> New Bedford? God's like, yeah, that's what I like to do. So when it's done, you can say, yes. who gets the glory? Right. He does. <laughs> he does. Now, very important. Who do you say Jesus is? the ultimate question in life. Life has many questions. But I believe the answer to this one question leads to the answer to all the other questions. And you cannot do this in one shot, in one Sunday morning. This is a lifetime journey to unpack this question. It's not merely a question of knowledge, information. It has implications of how I live my life. It affects my worldview. It affects my behavior. It affects my thoughts. It affects my words. It affects how I interact with others. Why? Because if he really is God, if he really is who he says he is, I have to make some decisions. See, he left no wiggle room. Like if you really study Jesus, not the information about him. If you really study Jesus, he left no wiggle room. He's like, you either go into embrace me as Lord and Savior, or there will be nothing else for me to have with you. There's no wiggle room. And this is why he says, "You need revelation. You don't need church. You need revelation, because then you, when you get revelation, then you get church." If you get the revelation of who God is, then you'll be set free from money. You don't need more money lectures. You need a heart transplant. If you get a heart transplant, then you get the priority of where your money fits. You get the priority of where your, your sexuality fits. You get the priority of where your integrity fits and your character fits and your parenting fits and your marriage. Like All of it comes from that one question. That one question trickles down to everything else. Because you can't take lightly when someone says, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You live in a plural society, and he's talking about exclusivity. You got to make some decisions. You live in in a society that says, all roads lead to Rome, Jesus says, only one road. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. He says, straight and narrow is the way to salvation, and only a few finds it. You think he's telling you something cute here? So we got to make some decisions when you wrestle with this question. That's why some people go, I want to know. Ignorance is not bliss. It's not. It's easy to see him as a prophet. Because, because I, can get, I can get inspired by a prophet. Especially if you're saying something good to me. It's easy to see him as a teacher. I can get inspired by a teacher. But man, do I see him as Lord? Because now it's like, that affects things. Prophet could be over there. The teacher could be over there. But the Lord got to be in here. And in here. That's why it's easy for people to be like, yeah, I don't need to go to church to love God. Yeah, you you see him as a prophet or a mere teacher. That's incomplete. He is a teacher. He is a prophet. He's also a priest. He's also a savior. He's also Lord. He's also the way, the truth, the life, the door. He's also eternal life. This is a question that we were wrestling with for years and centuries. And much not, has not changed. There will always be different opinions based on proximity and intimacy. What we need is a divine experience. Yeah. This is what he's telling Peter God, the Father, had to reveal that to you. If you want to write this down, revelation means God's disclosure of Himself. God has to disclose himself. He has to reveal himself. He has to open up the eyes to see, the heart to see. God has to take away the religiosity for you to see him for who he is. That's why some of us, we need to pray, God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me in a real way, in an intimate way. God's not afraid of that prayer. To know Jesus... I pray you write this down, and I'll get on this next week. To know Jesus is to know your true self, because it reflects back. See, the the conversation doesn't end there. He tells Peter, since you understand who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are. I'll talk about that next week. God doesn't leave you the same. This is not a pop quiz. Hey, you made it. Congratulations. (laughs) Got 100, Peter. No, no, you get 100, Peter, by being who I called you to be. Stay tuned next week. <laughs> but it's crazy. It's the greatest mystery. He's not a prophet. He's not a moral teacher. He's not that cute, compassionate hippie that some people think he is. He's he's not the European with the blue eyes and beautiful shampooed hair. That's that's all misconceptions about Jesus. And we all have them. I have them. We all have biases. If you really want to grow spiritually, you got to drop your bias. This is why I'm saying. This is not a one-day thing. This is a life thing where he's going to continue to bring you back to this question and you're going to continue to have to wrestle with this question to see, like, where am I with you and, and and where am I in terms of who I am in you and you in me so we can actually have something that's real, that's more than religion, that's more than just a Sunday routine. It's a lifestyle that affects every area of my life. That takes time, people. In a microwave society, though. We live in a microwave society. Some people come, oh, if I don't get everything I get in one shot, then, then this thing's not real. But it's like, man, you've lived all this time without you think we can undo all that in one day. It's a journey. Peter says this, but you if you see Peter's life, it's a journey. Here's the guy that says this, and a few chapters later, Jesus is like, get behind me. You don't get it. (laughs) I love this because because this is what we need, church. We don't need more religion. We don't need another cute sermon. We need revelation. We need to know this God. We need to know him and walk with him and have relationship with him. Can you say amen? Listen, I'm running out of time here, but let me give you some things real quick. Listen, he is Fully human and he's fully divine. That messes you up when you really begin to consider that. Like, that's crazy. How can he be fully human and fully divine? A hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. If you lean on one or the other, you will miss him. Because of our bias, we have a tendency to lean. We like to lean people. We're lean people. We like to pick sides mm-hmm. yeah. That's why we have republicans We have democrats We have patriots And then we have everybody else You know what I mean <laughs> We like to pick sides Okay We like to pick sides But when it comes to him It's attention. It's It's a tension and he, and he wants it that way yep. He says I came with grace and truth yeah. Right Some of us we lean on grace Ah oh, grace Grace some of us, we need not truth, truth. But he's like, no, it's both. There's a tension between grace and truth. If you, if you uplift one over the other, you're going to miss something here. It's supposed to be this tension always between grace and truth. That's why he's 100% human. That's grace. 100% divine. That's truth. You can't touch one or the other. You've got to touch both if you're going to get the real revelation of who Jesus is. Some stumble over his humanity. How can he be? Some stumble over his divinity. How can he be? That's the ultimate question. It's an amazing mystery. But look... Just real quick because of time, but fully human. Let me just give you some perspective here. Oh, he's fully human. Hebrews says this about him. Well, look at this, right? The writer of Hebrews says So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of, our, of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same tests as we do, yet did not sin. In other words, he was fully human. Okay, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Because he was fully human. He fully understands the human experience. There's nothing you can go through in human life that Jesus didn't experience. All of it. If not, he was a robot. That's why he says every part. Like, if you Another version says he was tempted on every point of life. In other words, you, he can identify with every single thing that you're going through. Why? That's the point of him becoming human. Yeah. That you can say, I have a God that relates. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Let me just, again, just make you clarify. He was born from a woman. Can you relate? Mama, he had a mama. <laughs> the Bible says he had to grow physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He had to grow. He ate food. He ate a lot. He ate so much that people like he's always hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors. And they're always eating. I'm like, I, I can relate. I'm like Jesus when it comes to eating. He got tired. Fell asleep on a boat once in the middle of a storm. He was very tired. <laughs> So tired. The disciples were like, can we wake him up? Like, he's got to do something here. He got angry. Walked into church, started whipping people. <laughs> How would you like that, Jesus? <laughs> walked in and was like, ah, ah, ah! I can't believe you guys turned this place into damn of business. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. Got mad at the disciples. Called them brood of vipers. You want to see Jesus mad? Go read Matthew twenty-three. When he goes off for like 20 verses, <laughs> like off, like if you did that today, he would be on YouTube. <laughs> like Jesus lost it at the fair. You should have watched this. 200 million views. He he lost it. Call them Buddha vipers. He call them you know cemeteries. He, he, he went nuts. Go read it. That's why they were like we got to kill this dude. He had real emotions. He cried. The shortest verse in the entire Bible is Jesus wept when his friend, friend, Lazarus, you call him friend, died. Can you relate? He had friends and he also had enemies. He felt lonely. When John the Baptist was killed, the Bible says he spent all night praying, He felt lonely. His closest relative died. Not just died, was murdered. Real life. He felt lonely, but he also he laughed a lot. See, we don't see that in the Bible because we read it with religious eyes. But he was very funny and sarcastic. He said stuff like, oh, so you're worried about your, the speck in your brother's eyes, but you got a log in yours? That's funny and sarcastic. No, you got to picture that. Someone with a log in their eye, and you're worried about the little speck in someone else's eye. He's like, like he gives you images to think on. Real person. He felt pain physically, emotionally, spiritually. He felt betrayed. Another cool thing is he also he worked with his hands. You know the word carpenter is actually the word tecton, which means like most likely he he was a a masonry in masonry more than actually wood carpentry, like really hard work, cutting stones. Like they said, he was probably building cobblestones for the Romans. That's hard work. He was an amazing storyteller. Like everything that we study today is just stories. We forget that they're just stories. Because we read it with religious eyes. Like, he would just be walking and tell a story. One of my dreams is to go to Israel and visit. Because they said, when you go, then you get it. Like he, You would be in Galilee. He would look at the sea and tell you a story about become fish as a man. So you'd be in the marketplace. He would tell you a story about seeds. Because you can see it. You can relate to it. It's just stories. Stories that we're still baffled over. We're still like, well, what does that actually mean? <laughs> The power of the parables. He lived a full human life up to the age of about 33. He was in obscurity for about 18 years. We hear from him at 12, and when we hear from him about 30, he starts his ministry. But in a microwave society, that's even the Son of God had to wait. All that as a human, but one thing he never did, he never sinned. He never sinned. Why? Because I got to show you the other side. He's fully divine. That's good, that's good. Look at Colossians says this about him. It says this, look, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to see God, you got to look at Jesus. Yep. He existed before anything was created and is supreme of over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can't see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He's human, but he's also divine. What a mystery. He was conceived by a woman, but he also was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have a father. He has a stepfather. Even that is relatable. You're like, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going through. I have a stepfather. Yes, he does. Actually, people in the neighborhood thought... That something fishy happened with Mary. That's why she was pregnant. Go read it. They thought he was a kid born out of wedlock. So if you think you have emotional problems, think about that. You're walking around the neighborhood where everybody knows you. And secretly they believe, wedlock, out of wedlock. You ever been gossiped about? He was. That's how we can relate. That's why he says, I know what you're going through. I've been there. At the age of 12, he knew he was different. He, he told the religious leaders, I'm, I'm here, but I'm about my father's business. At 12 years old, 12 years old in the Hebrew tradition is when you become a man. He performed many miracles that cannot be explained, like turning water into wine, walking on water, healing the blind, healing the sick, touch the lepers when no one else would touch them. And here's that's another powerful thing demons recognized him. Did you know demons recognized who he really was before any human being did? What does that tell you about the man? Everybody's like, he's a prophet, he's a teacher. Demons are like, get away from us. We know who you are. That's why we need a revelation. Demons already got the revelation. He's the son of God. Don't send us to hell yet. Go read it. Demons recognized it before humans did. Lay hands on the sick, and then he healed the heart. He forgave sins. He healed the heart. One time he said, Your sins are forgiven. And they're like, Wait, he's crippled. He's like, But I want to show you that I can do both. I can heal you physically, but if I don't heal your heart. So many people get healed physically, but they never get healed spiritually. What's more important? It's good. The physical will stay, it's the soul that remains. Sometimes I believe God won't hear you physically just so you can stay lying on him for the spiritual so you don't lose on the greatest revelation. (laughs) He called himself the great I am. Now, if you understand the Bible, you understand he's saying I am God. Because what reference is that? That's Exodus 3. When God told Moses, I am that I am. And they're like, how can you call yourself I am? You're not even that old. You're not even like Abraham was the, son of, was the father of faith. They said, yeah, before Abraham was, I am. My God, you can't take this stuff lightly. This can't be just great information. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This has implications. So I got to ask you today, who is Jesus to you? Because I don't have time to keep going. But he, you know, he basically uh, fulfilled over 300 prophecies. The odds of one person fulfilling one prophecy is the same odds of, of if we went to the state of Texas, right, t- state of Texas, and we fill the state of Texas with 25-cent with coins, and we just put a star on one of them, and we fill the entire state of Texas, like, to the brim, and you, and you, and you go to Texas, and you find that one coin. That's the odd of one person fulfilling one prophecy, never mind 300. I can go on and on, but I don't have time. I have to ask you, who is Jesus to you? And how did you reach that conclusion? How did you get there? I think Jesus is asking a question that's supposed to be an experience, not an academic question. That's good. See, the, the real answer will never come outside of revelation. God revealing himself to us. Because anything else would just be shallow and not the full extent of it. All week long, I wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus to me? There's an old hymn. I love hymns. I'm old school. My wife called me old school this week. Because she, I was studying, and I was listening to this and She's like, man, you're so old school. I'm like, thank you very much, (laughs) ma'am. I didn't say that. In my head, I did. But there's an old hymn called, You Are My All in All. I'm like, that's the only thing that makes sense. He's the all in all. See, I don't know my life without Jesus. I, don't, I really don't. I really wrestle with this all week. I don't know my life. I don't know any part of my life without a hint of Jesus in it. I, I grew up with people who always pointed me to Jesus even though I didn't always get it. My mom and dad didn't go to church, but I had a grandmother who prayed, and she had two aunts who prayed, and they decided, us three, we're going to lead you to Jesus. My two aunts were Catholic. My my grandmother was Nazarene. When I tell my testimony, I tell people, I'm Catherine. I got both. My grandmother took me to Sunday school in the morning. My aunts took me to Mass at night. And when I look back now, I know that was God. That was God making sure the tension between grace and truth was in your life. All the way. At the age of 20, he revealed himself to me. I wasn't looking. And people say, I found God. I'm like, where was he? (laughs) I'm the one that was lost. Not him. I was sitting in a service, kind of like this, in the back. And all of a sudden, the revelation came. I'll never forget it. First time I heard the Holy Spirit say, you're living in vain. And that changed everything. That one moment changed everything. I knew in that moment that I wasn't the same again. I knew that my life would never be the same again. In that moment, I knew something happened to me. I don't know how to explain it. I just know something just happened. It was an experience. I felt like something was removed from my eyes. And my heart was open. And I got up from that prayer like a little baby crying. You know, you ever had those moments with the Holy Spirit where it's not cute? You have, you know, stuff. (laughs) And I got up, and I knew I'm never going to be the same again. And that was the beginning of my journey that I understood. Because even before that, he was pursuing me. That's the beginning of me waking up to the reality of my journey. Because now I go back all the way to my childhood, and I see he's been doing this all along. He's been doing. He's making sure, all along. So who is Jesus to me? Jesus changed my entire worldview. All of it. A few months later, after that, I had a second revelation. I was sitting in a balcony, at Eastern Nazarene College, for a service. A missionary was preaching. He was retiring. He was his last sermon. He had been a missionary to different parts of the world. He's an older man now in his late 80s, and he preached this message, and at the end he said, who in this generation is going to take up the mantle? And he said, I'm calling you right now, and I see God's calling you, and my heart started... You ever had that moment? You ever had your eight-mile moment? If you don't know what I'm talking about... I remember freaking out. I'm sitting in this balcony going, I think that's me. And the only way I can explain to you what happened that day is I walked up, and I walked down. I felt like I was a zombie. I felt like I had an out-of-body experience, seeing myself walking down to the altar. And they had little crosses at the altars to symbolize you are taking up your cross. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to preach the gospel. And I grab onto that thing so tightly, and I felt, God, I'm here. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. That's today. day he put a passion for me to preach the gospel. I'll never forget it. I didn't ask for it. He called me. And the good thing is that when he calls you, he's the one that qualifies you. Never in a million years, I thought I'd be a preacher. Jesus means, you know. Let me try and finish this, okay? <laughs> Let me try and finish this. And then he began to work on me internally. Because we're all broken. And i be honest with you, it's been 19 years, and he's still working on me internally. He began to set me free from destructive patterns. Began to purify me. He said things to me like, You're going to be a man of God. I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. I want you to have integrity. I want you to be honest. I want you to be genuine. I want you to be real. I want you to say sorry when you're wrong. I want you to work on being humble. Then a few years after that, he led me to, back to the place where I got called. I didn't know I was going to go to school there to become this. Get went and got my bachelor's degree in theology. But honestly, my favorite thing about going to UNC was that that's where he led me to meet my wife, Lindsay. That was worth... That to me, that was worth the price of tuition. And you can ask her this, we were friends, just friends. I know people are like, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, baby, you, you know, that. Yeah. <laughs> but we were, we were honest <laughs> to goodness, just friends. And we would talk about the future and what we see. Crazy that we would talk about one day, it would be awesome to go to a city and start a church. Wow. <laughs> it would be awesome to start a church, but that does things for the community. It'd be awesome to have a church that is active, like a Boys and Girls Club. We always thought church should be like Boys and Girls Club, with faith. (laughs) (laughs) And we used to dream about that. And then a few years ago, God said, go make that dream come a reality. Move to New Bedford and start that church. And so we came. And since then... It's just been miracles after miracles. See, I don't... Honestly, you may not believe it, but the money thing, it's not the money. It's the reality that we're doing God's will. Yeah. You know, that's, that's it. And it leads me every day. Every day. There's not an area in my life that Jesus has not influenced, and he's still influencing there's not a day that I don't go by without reflecting and thinking and praying and meditating and asking Him, How am I doing? Not a day. He molds me as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, and as a pastor. My favorite time of the day is when I go and spend time with Him. Sometimes in my car, my car is my favorite sanctuary. That's where I can sing my heart out. You can't judge me. by myself. <laughs> I'm the best worship leader in that car that you will ever see. <laughs> I'm like homegirl from Hillsong. You know where you're by yourself you try to hit those notes. Don't lie. You know you do. You know you go there. You're by yourself. You're like... And the volume is really high. You're like, nailed it. But if you shut it off though, no. <laughs> shut off the music, you, you, sound, you sound like a cat in pain. So, Jesus, man, He's everything. Who is it to you? Who is it to you? I want, I want to leave you with these three things today. Pray. Can you go to our last slide? pray about this question. I think it's the most important question you will ever ask yourself. And get to know him. That's why he gave us this. Amazing to me how these old manuscripts are so alive. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage, Matthew 16. I've said it many times, but each time I get something new and fresh, a new revelation. Start in the Gospels. If you never read the Bible, start in the Gospels. You can start either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I like to start in John just because I feel like John really captures the full heart of the man and the vine. But don't stop there, because it's not about information. It's about it's about experience. Invite Him into your full life. Emphasis on full. All of it. He's not afraid of it. He knows your mistakes. He knows your confusions. He knows your struggles. He knows your addictions. Like, he knows all of it. There's nothing that he doesn't know. Invite him and watch what he does. Watch what he does. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable because surgery is uncomfortable. But surgery is to make you better. You can't, you can't put band aid on broken bones, you need surgery. That's why some people can't stand it, because he's too good to leave you the same. Like, he doesn't want to put a Band-Aid on it. He wants to heal. Right. He wants to heal. Just right. stand with me. We're going to run out of time. I want to pray for you. Lift your hands to the Lord today. I want to pray for you today, church, that you would have proximity plus intimacy that will lead, that will lead to divine experiences. Spirit of Jesus, would you come and fill this place? Would you come and fill every heart, every soul? Spirit of Jesus, would you fall fresh on us? Reveal yourself to us. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. We want to know you. We want to experience you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come over your people. You are the all in all, the great I am, the way, the truth, the life. But we don't want just to know the information, Lord. We want to experience you. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, over your people. Fill every heart, every soul. A fresh touch of who you are, Lord. A fresh revelation. Heal your people. Bless your people. Strengthen your people. Encourage your people. Reveal yourself. Reveal yourself. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information on New Life and all of our campuses, log on to www.atnewlife.org.